Well, good morning. Good to be here uh, with you. Let's uh, pray before we turn to God's Word. Our Heavenly Father, we uh, live in a world that there's so many voices clamoring. Uh, there's so many voices that are s- seeking to speak into our lives, um, trying to explain to us what is reality, what is truth. Yet many of the voices that seek our attention are full of lies, and we are so grateful that we have uh, your word that is true truth, that it is the truth that we desperately need. And so we're praying and asking that as we spend some time now in these moments uh, that are afforded us, that we would hear your word, hear your truth spoken into our lives, that it would chase out the darkness, that it would uh, bring Uh, understanding where there is confusion. We pray that you would do uh, your work in each one of our lives uh, this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we today are starting a a new series of of messages under the title, uh, A Heart and Mind at Rest. And the big theme is that of anxiety. Uh, We're going to talk about how the message of Jesus And the life of Jesus, uh, the person of Jesus, uh, brings uh, uh, help and hope into this whole area of anxiety. And we'll be looking at it under a number of different subheadings and from different angles uh, in the weeks to come. And my hope is that by God's grace, uh, it will be a great blessing to to each one of us and something that changes our lives for the better. That in some way, uh, through all of this, your life will be helped and that God Uh, will be working in you and for you. And so uh, to open our series this morning, let's uh, get right into God's Word and the closing verses uh, of Matthew chapter 11. Very familiar verses, I'm sure, to many of you, words of Jesus. It says this, At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, And learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. We're doing this series, you could say, for a couple of reasons. Uh, First of all, uh, we're increasingly aware of the subject of uh, mental health as a pressing issue uh, socially. Uh, we are struck by the fact that given our relatively comfortable age, I mean, we live in a, you know, a fairly comfortable city in many ways. Santa Rosa is enviable in terms of how well off it seems to be, how free it seems to be, how easy a place it seems to live in, generally speaking, in comparison to, to other places and times in history. We live at a time when, you know, affluence and general comfort are, are a bit you know, more normal. Uh, we, we don't live at a time of great war and distress, at least not in our particular location and situation. 
We live at a time when health and, and medical care are generally more available than, than, than they would have been, again, in most times and places in history. We have all kinds of things going for us, all kinds of things that make our lives, by comparison, almost uh, extremely livable and easier than other generations, and even compared to other places where people are current, where they currently live, in their millions and billions around the world. And yet, our society, it seems increasingly, is marked by examples of deteriorating mental health and levels of anxiety, pressure, strain on people emotionally that cause great concern and even provoke questions. What are we doing wrong? Where have we gone wrong? Haven't we got so many things fixed? Haven't we been able to create a society which seems so stable and civilized and generally safe? It it, it doesn't seem to add up that our mental health levels look like they've deteriorated. I remember uh, a quotation from, I guess, uh, by now a kind of classic film about, uh, from a few years back, Fight Club, where the key character, Tyler Durden, played by Brad Pitt, has this little speech at one stage uh, where he's talking to this group of men that he's gathered, and he says this, we're the middle children of history, no purpose or place. We have no great war, no great depression. Our great war is a spiritual war. Our great depression is our lives. We've all been raised on television to believe that one day we'd all be millionaires and movie gods and rock stars, but we won't, and we're slowly learning that fact. That's, I think, a a penetrating analysis. It's a a helpful way of kind of summarizing what, what might be at the heart of our kind of concerns on the whole societal level. And people do suggest all kinds of problems and causes and roots to the mental health uh, trouble? Uh, What about the increase of drug intake and availability of drugs? Or what about the massive impact that social media seems to have on us on all kinds of levels? Certainly for the younger generation, it seems especially a concern. What about just the, the general kind of disintegration that seems to be happening on the social political level? extremes and and a high level of, you know, sort of identity politics, people becoming more and more tribal in the way that they identify themselves and feel hostility towards others. There, There seems to be a certain measure of social disharmony, even disintegration beginning to kick in. And then you've got to ask even perhaps some 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 more deeper questions. What about the institutions like family? The 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 sense of of feeling uh, connected and being a part of something bigger than yourself. That that seems to have gone a long time ago. Our kind of prevailing sense now is that we are individuals. We're we're, we're individual consumers even, and and our sense of belonging and being valued just by virtue of belonging to a family, well, that has at least been diluted over time. And and many would simply say, "Well, well, that's got to be at least part of the problem, if not the main root problem. And, and, and Christians will ask deeper questions still. What about the fact that on a social level, on a kind of cultural level, we've cut ourselves off from any sense of spiritual meaning to life? We've chosen a, a way of looking at the world that's entirely kind of mechanistic, naturalistic. 
That's, that's reduced just to the physical, reduced to just that which I, I suppose can quantify, that you know, I can test in a, in, in a laboratory. At the end of, you know, you end up with a universe that's, that's basically godless. And, in, and a universe where you can achieve quite a lot through technology. We know how to make things happen. We're, we're increasingly skilled at mechanizing the world around us and, and making it serve our goals. So we can answer the how question more and more easily, but we've forgotten the why questions. In fact, we've almost prefer not to go there. And I love this quotation. I try to avoid reading such long quotations on Sundays, but sometimes you come across a few paragraphs from someone that says something extremely well. And this is something that Peter Lewis said in a book a few years ago. We know so much, and yet we know so little. And all because our starting point is wrong. We've made man the measure of all things. And he's busy taking the measure of all things, even while he is losing the measure of all things. Our data banks are loaded with technical know-how, while our century has become bankrupt to know why. Even as we solve the problems, we remain our biggest problem. We can control colossal forces, but we cannot control ourselves. Even as we see the possibilities, we fail to reach them, and indeed, they seem to recede. Having Locked God out of a scientifically determined universe, we now find ourselves lost in a spiritually empty universe, one with no higher purpose and in which life has no ultimate meaning. Our response to this, ancient and modern, has been to populate our universe with gods, projections of our hopes and fears, mystic philosophies and occult experiences, which are intended to give greater value or meaning to the world of brute facts and physics. Once again, man becomes the starting point, and inevitably his creation is as flawed as its creator. Jesus calls us to a new starting point. He offers help from the outside. It's help that will not fail us if we will leave our learned limitations, our stunted wisdom. If we will, in the things of God, become children and learn from Him, then in the busyness of our days and the excitement of our discoveries and the disappointment of our failures, we shall find rest for our souls. The second reason we're looking, uh, we're we're doing this series is very simply because we believe it's at the heart of Jesus' mission. In the book of Matthew, for instance, we find a story of Jesus presenting himself to his people, offering himself to them, and offering his kingdom to them, offering his way of being human to them. And effectively, his way is rejected. And we get to this point in in chapter 11 of Matthew where uh, on a kind of public level, he kind of brings his verdict to their response to him. It's like he's saying, okay, I've offered you this way of being God's people. This is, this is the, the way of having God amongst you, of be, of a, a, a way of being the, you know, a kingdom, and largely you've rejected it. Or at least the, the, the panel has been divided. Yeah, there are one or two on the panel who kind of are on Jesus' side, if you like, but generally the answer has been no. And so Jesus spends part of chapter 11 talking about that. But at this, the point in the verses that I just read to you, Jesus is reflecting on the fact that, that God, his Father, the Father in heaven, seems to have been working even through the rejection that Israel has given 
to Jesus. Because what Jesus is, all, is also seeing is that the people who have turned, the panel members, if you like, who've turned to Jesus and said, yes, we want Jesus, they've been not the wise and the learned. They've not been the great ones they, in, the eyes of, 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 you know, in the eyes of that age. They've not been the ones that are the apparent achievers and the success stories. They're not the public intellectuals. They're not the great teachers and heroes and leaders. They've been, well, children, if you like. I mean, not just literally children, but the, the, the simple, the humble. He calls them children because that's the demeanor that they've kind of learned to accept. They've learned to come to Jesus with that attitude, a childlike attitude. And Jesus says, it seems that that's exactly what my father has planned, that he wants to share himself and share me with the ones who will come like little children. And we get in this quite extraordinary part of the Bible that I read to you, we get to be eavesdroppers, if you like, on perhaps one of the most special prayers that ever got to be prayed by a human being in public. Jesus, with us listening in, Jesus, he starts talking to his father, and he has a conversation with his father, with an audience. He says, I want you in on this. I want you to know how I talk to him and how he talks to me. And I want you to see this thing that, that is at the center of all things, the center of, at the center of the universe. What's at the center of the universe? Accidental atoms just bouncing off each other and just physical matter. Is that what the universe is in essence? Just one big, long, random chance spinning out of meaningless events? No, at the center of the universe is a relationship between a father and a son. An eternal loving relationship. And here we see it. And, and, and in an astonishing way, we're kind of given an idea of how we can be invited to share it. Jesus has come into the world to share his Father with us. With people like you and me. And if we really begin to understand the, the, the majesty of that thought, it will change our lives. It will change the way we see everything. He's come to share his Father with you and me. And in doing so, he's provided another option as to how we can be human. How to do human life. How to, how to live with this Father. This Father who Jesus comes in to share with us by adoption in the privileges of sonship and daughtership. And this is the big theme of the Bible, you could say. It certainly kind of pokes itself out in chapter 11 of Matthew and in so many other key places. And I want to say that as we go through this series on anxiety, it's going to come out of this platform. It's going to be, if you like, a whole series just on these few verses from Matthew chapter 11. It, it won't be, actually. We'll go to all uh, different parts of, of the Bible because the Bible talks about this all over the place. It's rich with references to our anxiety, our mental and emotional well-being. I nevertheless wonder, though, whether there's anything more significant than these verses from Matthew 11. Because we see so much if we, if we look closely. You know, we, we won't get time to look at it very closely today. It's just too rich in a way. But I, but I, I wanted to launch from here to give you an idea of what the whole point of this series is. We, we, we want to talk about how Jesus sharing his life with us, sharing his father with us, 
affects everything. And today, actually, just for the rest of our time to kick us off, I want to, to give... I wanted to give just that introduction to the whole series, but before I finish today, I want to talk about this first matter. Um, when it comes to anxiety, you're never far away from the subject of stress. And very simply, I want to touch on the theme of stress and the time that remains. Stress is, I suppose, kind of anxiety being physically registered. It's like when anxiety, which rumbles around below the surface, comes above the surface, and we begin to sense it in a more obviously physical uh, plane, and it kind of exerts its presence. It says, look, I'm here, and, and, we, and we sense stress, uh, stress in all kinds of ways. And, and it seemed a good way to start because it's the beginning of January, and uh, we've come to a new year. And what's that mean? It means back to school, uh, back to college, or back to work. You know, some of us have just spent a, 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 you know, a week or two over the holidays uh, with, you know, the, the foot off the gas a little bit, uh, maybe even lounging around a bit too much, and uh, uh, you've enjoyed the rest, whatever it looked like for you, and now it's back to normality. And it's back to the busyness, the pressures, the deadlines, the demands, the goals, the targets, the bosses, the colleagues, the management charts, the ambitions, the drive, the budgets. These are things, these things are going to contribute to at least a potential experience of stress as we get into the weeks ahead. A recent report came up with the finding that 77% of people talked about experiencing stress that affects their physical health. One report even suggesting that around 75 to 90% of doctor's visits in this country are in some way related to stress. And about half of those people reported feeling extremely stressed. That is, they say, yeah, yeah, I've, I've, I've come to, you know, I've become so stressed to the point of feeling overwhelmed. I can't cope. I cannot cope. And you notice that it's particularly so amongst the younger generation. It's still there as you get into the older generations, but among the younger, these, these statistics are, 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 are sharper. Stress is the number one health concern of high school students. More worryingly still, of those that do 32%, that's a huge statistic, 32% struggle with, occasionally at least, with suicidal thoughts that are stress-related. And then 16% self-harmed in the last year in association with stress. Again, the statistics are sharper and higher as you go younger. The 18 to 24 age bracket experiences these at the highest percentage. Stress is real. Stress is present. Stress is in the room. You're in a room this morning with stress, and, and, and you're probably in a body with stress. You're, you're probably in a life currently with stress. And you're going into a busy year. And so we're talking about stuff that we all, you know, stuff that we all know about, right? Right now, we're, we're, we're talking about stuff that affects us sometimes, or it affects our sleeping patterns, our ability to stop and relax. It causes us sometimes to feel like we have to work faster, feel, feeling that we cannot stop because there's so much to do. But the more we've got to do, the less we feel we're getting done. 
the sense that we can't stop thinking and our thinking nevertheless becomes more and more you know, fruitless and less and less productive because it just becomes frenzied, it becomes panicky. We become those who think about our thinking. We're, we're stressed about our stress. And it kind of perpetuates itself. We get caught up in cycles or even downward spirals of pressure and anxiety on all kinds of levels. And the question we should probably ask if we're looking at the Bible is, is this how it should be? Is this intended? Is there something productive about stress? Is it, is it sort of God's way of getting us up out of bed? Does God intend for us to get motivated by, by sweaty exhaustion and a constant sense of failure and letting people down in a horrible list that doesn't seem to, to get any shorter no matter how many things we cross off and in an imagination of all the people that right now are ready to send us a nasty, spiteful text or email because we've somehow not been good enough for them? Is that how life is meant to be? Did God intend that for us? And the answer is an absolutely resounding no. This is not how it should be. God's plan, God's intention for us, yes, was for us to work. Work is there at the very, on, the, on the very first page of the Bible to have responsibility, authority, calling, tasks, vocation. But all these things at the first part of our story, at the beginning of the Bible, are good things. They are not occasions for stress, not in any way. What work was meant to be like, how God intended work to happen, was that not only were, would we be challenged, you know, you know, yet just capable of doing the work, but it was work that, that, that most stimulated us, was work that would most excite us and gratify us, and brought us joy even. But generally, that hasn't been our experience, has it? I mean, most of us don't live there. We, we live somewhere short of that vision most of the time, if not all of it. And even when we enjoy that sweet spot, it can really feel like just a, a taste of something that we can't keep. We can't expect to stay there. Generally speaking, work seems rather a drain. Work and responsibility and pressure of life seem stressful. I want to tell you the Bible explains why. The Bible says that what happened at the very early stages of human history, we turned away from it. He made us to enjoy working, if you like, in relationship with him, happily identifying as his, joyful because of the work we were doing was his. Happy because it was all about him. He's the reference point. He's the goal. He's the purpose. He's what it's all about. And work becomes a joy because I'm getting to do this in relationship to a good God. But we cut ourselves off from the good God, haven't we? That's what we've done. That's our story. That's all of our story. Not just the people in this book. It's our human story. And one of the results of that is that work becomes something we're, we're alienated from. It becomes just a necessity. I've, I've, I've got to work because I've got to feed myself and my dependents. Can't not work. It becomes a means to an end and, and potentially becomes a strain, becomes a, a resented thing. And, and God says at the very first stage of our fall, right in the early pages of the Bible, work will become a toil for you. 
You will work the earth by the sweat of your brow. In other words, work will become a labor, a stressful thing, a pressurized thing. And we can't seem to get rid of this human predicament. It, it, it's just part of our experience. And it, and it feels like, well, this is just how it's supposed to be. But I'm here to tell you that that's not how it's supposed to be. It isn't. God's best, God's blessing, God's will for us was that we would, we would have joy and that we would even rest in our work. And God's good news for us is that through Jesus, he's made a way for us to return to that, to return to a different way of seeing life, responsibility, stress, and strain, to be somehow liberated from this kind of constant pressure, this constant sense of stress. And I want us just to look at, at these verses before I finish, how they relate to this. Jesus, at this, at this famous point in Matthew's gospel, says to the crowds, come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Now, we don't live in an agricultural context, so we might not necessarily fully grasp uh, the reference when we first read that. Take my yoke upon you. What's, what, what, what's a, a yoke? It, 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 it's really what would be placed on a beast of burden, like a mule or an oxen that would, that would carry loads, that would carry responsibility, if you like. They... They come under a yoke, literally a wooden beam that would cover over the shoulders that they would kind of be harnessed to as a way of pulling things forward, pulling a plow or such, some such implement. That, that, that's a, a very simple image for people living at this time, but it's also easy for us to grasp it. It means Jesus is saying, I want you to carry something for me. I want you to. I want you to serve me. When Jesus says, follow my teaching, follow me, watch me, learn from me, he's doing like people generally would have done at that time. He's saying, be my disciple by making me the central point of your life, the authority of your life. I mean, it's it's so different from today. If you want training or input or teaching or education today, I mean, you just click a website, you, you download a podcast, you, 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 you might even pay some money and download a whole, whole course. It might cost you $100 and you download a course, but you're still the boss. I mean, even if you go to university, you're the boss. You can take that, you know, this unit or that module. You can take these exams and not do that. You know, do what, do what you're like. You're certainly not coming under the authority, uh, the authoritative oversight of a master. We're not saying to a teacher, you are the one under whose authority I now come. I'm taking your yoke. I'm going to be a beast of burden for you. So we might say, well, that's, you know, we don't do that. We, you, know, you know, what do you mean take a, take a yoke? We're free. This is the 21st century. But are we? See, the reality is you can't not take a yoke of some kind. We all will. We all take on pressures and responsibilities because we have things in our lives that are the main thing. Whatever you live for will rule you. Some of us, it's obvious. There's, there's something that dominates our lives because it's controlled us. It may be an addiction. It may be a person. Maybe there's some kind of relationship that we've got into where we are robbed of our freedom because somebody so dominates us, controls us. Maybe it is something 
is sinister or that, but it doesn't have to be. It can be something that, that sounds very noble and good in and of itself. It may, it may be that what we live for is our ambition, our desire to achieve. It may be that we, we live for a relationship. We live for it. We, we live to please that one person, to have that one person. But I'm here to tell you that whatever that thing is, that one thing that you live for, that's your yoke. That's the thing you come under, and it will control you. It will. And it will in some way bring you to the point of stress, however good it might be. Why? Because it's not the thing that you were made to live for. You've turned a good thing into a God thing, and because it's become a God thing, it's become a bad thing. Jesus offers himself and says, come, come to me. Take my yoke upon you. Why yours? Because he's different. He's, he's so different. You've, you've got to serve some, somebody, as, as Dylan reminds us. You've got to, to serve, you know, come under someone. He, he's not saying don't bother, don't go under anybody. No, he's definitely saying, no, take my yoke upon you. But why him? Because he says, I'm gentle. I'm gentle. You'll find rest. Not just rest for your body, not just a week over the holidays, not just two weeks of vacation in the summertime, you will find rest for your soul. Rest for your soul. He says, I, I'm gentle. I give rest as a starting point. You come to me and, and, and work. It doesn't, doesn't sound very restful. He says the first thing he offers is you'll find rest. You'll find rest. How? It, it, it's, it, it's, it's what we were made for. It's, it's interesting to notice. When you read the first page of the Bible and the description of creation, it's fascinating. It happens over these different days of creation. The, the first day that humanity comes along is the sixth day. The seventh day is the Sabbath. God works all week. We show up in time for a day off. We, we show up, and the first thing God says to us, he says, rest. Your first day, rest. That's in keeping with Genesis at the beginning of the Bible. And Jesus is coming back to that. He's saying, come to me and I'll give you rest. That's what God's always wanted for us. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down. He makes me lie down in green pastures. The whole thrust, the whole message of the Bible is God's determination to invite us into genuine spiritual rest. Not spiritual in the sense that it remains you know, in a spiritual realm. No, no, no. Jesus is saying, is showing us how to be human. Jesus says, learn from me. Watch me. Watch the man. Watch this human being. I mean, so we, we, we think of, of Jesus you know, in stained glass sometimes. We don't realize that, oh, he's human all right. He, he knew what it was to need to stop, to relax, to sit with friends, to laugh himself off his chair, to, to, to eat a good meal, to enjoy good wine, to have fun, to enjoy the family, to play with the kids, to play sport. Jesus did human life and he said, watch me, watch me. You mustn't imagine that spiritual rest means that you sort of just kind of have a strange spiritual membrane somewhere in your life and the rest of your life is sort of irrelevant to that. No, Jesus is saying, no, I want, I want you to do, I want the whole of your life to be done with me in mind. 
I, I want you to learn what it means to do human life in submission to me, to, to let me be your master, to, to, to take my yoke upon you, where, wherever you are, even, even when your boss is, is, is someone else. I mean, maybe your boss is, is anti-Christian, who, who might, be in a, you might be in a very you know, difficult environment in terms of, you know, it, it, it might be that your yoke is trying to keep a boss happy who's putting you under pressure or trying to keep colleagues happy who, who put you under pressure. You feel a sense of failure a lot of the time because of that kind of yoke. But Jesus would say, like Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, do everything as unto the Lord. Serve him. See him as your master. Stop being a, you know, frightened of, of other people's opinions. You're, you're coming under their yoke, you see. You're weary and heavy laden. You're under pressure. You're feeling the pressure of people's expectations. And that's because you idolize them too much. You make that more important than the favor of God. And Jesus says to us, look, I want you to learn to rest in my favor. In my approval, I'm gentle. My commands aren't burdensome. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. And some of us might say, yeah, but didn't Jesus say, take up your cross and follow me? That sounds like hard work. It sounds like appallingly hard work. Isn't Jesus coming to give us extra stresses and burdens? And to be sure, religion can be the worst kind of burden. You go through a stressful week, and then you come to church on a Sunday, and all you get is more stress because you come to a place where the message is, by the way, you're not doing well enough. Try harder. Work harder this year. Be a better Christian in 2020. You did a poor job last year. Be a better Christian this year, and it's just another burden. But this message is surely taking the rug out from under that. Jesus is saying, I have not come to burden you like religion does, like the religious people of Jesus' day did, and he rebuked them for it. No, no, that's not my goal. My goal is actually to take burdens off you. Yeah, but, but, but you told us to carry the cross. Yeah, but think about it. Why would you carry the cross? Why would you obey Jesus? Why, why would you come under his yoke? Jesus says in John's Gospel, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. If you love me. And that's the point. Jesus is saying, this is a relationship. Come to me. Not come to Christianity. He doesn't even say come to church. Hope you will, but that's not what he's saying primarily here. He's saying come to me. Come to me. Now, to be sure, one of the ways you come to him is by gathering with God's people, being with the church. But make no mistake, you must come to him. You must come to this person, this, this life-giving, burden-carrying person who in the end says, that, that burden a bit heavy for you? Is it hard? Is it pressure? Well, you need to know it's not yours to carry alone. He carries the worst of it with us. He's the one who carried the cross for us. He's the one who took on the worst of our stress, all the things that cause us stress, all the pride, all the sense of importance, so much of our stress, be careful on this, comes from pride. 
That's, that's why he says, I'm humble. Learn from me. I'm humble. How often do I get stressed and not even stop because stress lies to you. Stress tells you you're not allowed to stop and think. But when I do stop and think and question my stress and say, hold on, let me just ask myself here, what is the stress? Why, why do I feel this pressure so much of the time in my case? And I'm sure in yours as well. It doesn't take long to discover that the pressure comes from a sense of pride, a sense of independence, a sense of needing to prove myself, needing to have proved something, needing to have achieved something that becomes overly important, something that I've made into an idol, other people's approval. Frankly, as a preacher, very often, it's your, your approval. It's, it's doing a great job. And it's so important I do a, a great job that it becomes an, you know, overwhelmingly pressurizing to the point where I'm hurting people around me. And I'm realizing that's not the yoke Jesus put on me. I put that on me. I'm freed. Jesus comes and says, no, 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 take my yoke. Learn from me. I'm humble. You don't need their approval. You don't need half of the things you think you need. In fact, most of the things you think you need. Because that's my job. He's here to meet with us in our need. And so remember and remind yourself where the stress comes from. And learn to live in the provision and grace of this burden-carrying Savior who invites us into the same freedom of the relationship that He has with His Father. Who tells him who he is? Jesus says, I know who I am. I am I, I'm, I'm in relationship with my Father. He knows me. I know him. He tells me everything I need to know. And friends, this is the answer for us. To come back to that genuine, deep relationship with our Father. There's so much more we could say. There's so much more we could dig into here. Uh, that's so important, but we need to finish for time's sake. But we're going to get further into this um, as the weeks go on. But let me just uh, pray as we close. Father, we are so grateful uh, to you for your help in, in showing us uh, Jesus as the one who carries our burdens rather than gives them to us. Now we pray, would you help us to live free, freer uh, this week? Help us to, to learn this year, I pray that we in Redeemer would learn from you. Uh, we would do exactly what you say in these verses. Learn from me. Learn from me. I'm gentle and humble. Uh, teach us to learn your ways and become freer as we do so. In Jesus' name, amen.